Today is Friday, March 18th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedwafo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, the U.S. Defense Chief rules out enforcing a no-fly zone over Ukraine despite pleas by President Vladimir Zelensky. In order to control the skies, you have to shut down the air defenses that are on the ground. And some of those air defense systems are in Russia. And so there's no simple way to do this. No such thing as a no-fly zone light. Senegal launches a new offensive at dismantling a separatist rebel group in its southern region. The rebels, known as the MFDC, or the Movement of Democratic Forces of Casamance, are suspected of trafficking cannabis in Rosewood, which is exported to China in order to fund their separatist movement. And fishing activists urge the UN to conserve at least 30% of global land and ocean by 2030. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says that enforcing a no-fly zone in Ukraine would mean, in his words, that you are in conflict with Russia, unquote, and the U.S. position remained not to do that. Austin spoke alongside Slovakia's defense minister, Joroslav Nad, who said his country is willing to provide Ukraine with S-300 air defenses if NATO allies find a substitute. Ukraine has appealed to Western nations for air defenses to help repel a Russian military onslaught now in its fourth week. U.S. President Joe Biden on Wednesday announced an additional $800 million in security assistance, including weapons to take down Russian planes and tanks. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. From a U.S. perspective, our president, President Biden, has been clear that we would not have U.S. forces fighting in Ukraine. Having said that, we'll do everything we, within our power to support Ukraine in their efforts to defend their territory. We've also uh, stated that enforcing a no-fly zone actually means that, that you're in combat, you're in a fight with Russia. And that's one of the things that we have said that um, our president has said that we weren't going to do, getting in a fight with Russia. So what this really means is that in order to control the skies, you have to shut down the air defenses that are on the ground. And some of those air defense systems are in Russia. And so, again, there's no easy or simple way to do this. There's no such thing as a no-fly zone light. A no-fly zone means that you're in conflict with Russia. From a U.S. perspective, we're, again, our position remains that we're not going to do that. So certainly, we've all been shocked by the uh, brutality that we continue to witness day in and day out. And uh, these attacks that we've seen most recently are, appear to be focused directly on, on civilians. And, of course, if you attack civilians purposely, target civilians purposely, then that's, that is uh, crime. So these actions are uh, under review by our State Department. And, of course, there's a process that we'll go through to, to review all of this. But we call upon uh, Mr. Putin to cease these horrible actions. Again, these are civilians and, and not combatants, and so they should not be targeted. That's U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Russia is pounding residential areas in Ukraine as Moscow continues its invasion. One such attack hit a high-rise apartment building in Kiev, causing multiple casualties. Sahil Lyasenko spoke to some of the survivors. Anna Rice narrates his report. The Russian missile attack on high-rise residential building in Kiev on March 14th left at least four people dead. In the wake of the attack, Kiev Mayor Vitaly Klitschko announced a curfew in Ukraine's capital. VOA spoke with a family who survived the attack but lost their apartment. They did not want to give VOA their names. We... 
спали ночью в нашей спальне. Last night the family slept in the bedroom. All three of us on the same bed. Me, my husband and our grown-up son. We were woken up at five in the morning because a balcony door fell on our son. We immediately knew that it was a direct hit. We ran into the living room to the balcony. My husband said there was a fire. We started packing, packed up everything we could and ran outside. Her family had moved to Kiev eight years ago from Donetsk, fleeing the fighting there between government forces and pro-Russian separatists. We've lived through this in Donetsk, but it's not the same as it was in Donetsk. And we never thought that this could happen to us in Kyiv, and that we would be living through this again. It's scary. While still terrified, the woman believes the Russian invasion has changed Ukraine uniting people and making them stronger than ever. Living here for the past three weeks in this horror, it's become clear since day one that indeed our country has never been this united. She adds that if the Russian attacks on apartment buildings are supposed to scare Ukrainians, they have had the opposite effect. Are they close to succeeding? They aren't even a drop closer to reaching it and will never get there. With more and more residential areas in Kyiv coming under fire, about half of the city's population has fled, but many others are choosing to stay, to fight and risk their lives to defeat the Russian invaders. Some analysts liken the fight for Ukraine to the biblical story of David, who slew the giant Goliath. The Goliath Russia has the world's second largest military, but Ukraine has made a remarkable defensive stand against its gigantic neighbor, aided by weapons supplied by the Pentagon and NATO, as VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Bob reports. Weapons potent enough to ground a Russian helicopter seen in a video posted by the Ukrainian military. The fiery fall, a likely signature of a Stinger anti-aircraft missile. U.S. officials say allies have sent thousands of Stingers. Heat-seeking missiles with a range of about five kilometers, small enough to carry on foot. Russia amassed up to 190,000 troops around Ukraine's borders before sending them in to battle Ukraine's some 170,000 troops, plus tens of thousands of reserves. But officials say hundreds of Moscow's T-90 and T-72 B-3M battle tanks have been taken out by javelins. U.S. officials say they have sent more than 17,000 anti-tank weapons to Ukrainian forces during the first few days of the war, boosting the country's defensive capabilities. But Russia has its own effective firepower, firing hundreds of Iskander missiles with a range of 500 kilometers and caliber missiles with a range of up to even five times farther, an overwhelming advantage in the skies. These missiles launch from Russian ships at sea, bombers in the air, or from vehicles on the ground, and would complicate any effort to establish a no-fly zone over Ukraine, as Kyiv has repeatedly requested and the Biden administration has ruled out. But experts say these Russian missiles could be running low, and even though Moscow has more warplanes, Putin may be holding them back. 
Russia stands accused of using cluster bombs, dumb bombs, or imprecise bombs, and even thermobaric weapons, despite an international ban on using them near civilian populations. All while officials say Russian troops face food and fuel shortages and stiff resistance from motivated Ukrainians. And there are reports that Ukraine now has S-300 missile defense systems, a critical and potentially game-changing weapon able to shoot Russian missiles out of the sky before they hit their targets. Carla Bab, VOA News, the Pentagon. Senegal's army has launched a new offensive aimed at dismantling a separatist rebel group in the country's southern region, causing more than 2,000 people to flee. The military operation comes less than two months after rebels killed four Senegalese soldiers and captured seven others. Anika Hamashlag reports from Dakar, Senegal. The Senegalese army began its offensive on March 13th with the aim of dismantling rebel group bases along the Gambian border. The rebels, known as the MFDC, or the Movement of Democratic Forces of Casamance, are suspected of trafficking cannabis in Rosewood, which is exported to China in order to fund their separatist movement. As of Tuesday, the latest flare-up had left more than 2,000 people displaced. Alassane Senghor is the Secretary General of the Gambia Red Cross Society. He says the latest episode of fighting is one of the worst he's ever seen. People are abandoning their villages to cross into the Gambia from Casamance, and he says those living along the border are moving further into Gambia to seek safety. There is fear and panic because fighting happens most of the The conflict is one of the oldest in Africa. It began in 1982 and has since claimed thousands of lives. The region in southern Senegal is distinct from the rest of the country. Geographically, it's separated from northern Senegal by the Gambia. Historically, it was a Portuguese colony, while the rest of Senegal was colonized by the French. The region also has different religious, ethnic, and linguistic traditions. Dambe leads several civil society organizations in Casamance. He says the region has been relatively stable and peaceful since 2013, but now the situation is dire. He adds people are fleeing with their children in tow, taking nearly nothing with them. Bai says he and his colleagues say the solution is an open dialogue because the results they achieved from 2013 to present happened because they agreed to lay down their arms and talk. That's the only thing that could bring peace to Casamance, he says, because they've suffered too much from this conflict. Senegalese President Macky Sall had made achieving peace in Casamance a priority for his second term in office. Annika Hammerschlag for VOA News, Dakar, Senegal. Less than a month before France's first round of presidential elections, incumbent Emmanuel Macron finally laid out his campaign platform for re-election at a lengthy news conference Thursday outside Paris. The war in Ukraine has lifted Macron's popularity and his rivals are scrambling to make an impact. From Paris, Lisa Bryan reports for VOA that if he wins, Macron will be the first French president re-elected in two decades. President Emmanuel Macron was on a war footing Thursday, saying France must face multiple crises ahead, not with nostalgia for the past, but by confronting them and planning for the future. He spoke from the working-class Paris suburb of Aubervilliers, a striking choice for a candidate who has been derided as the president of the rich. Some of his key campaign proposals include raising the retirement age from 62 to 65, boosting spending on security, improving educational opportunities, and abolishing certain taxes. 
Comment préparer dès aujourd'hui notre jeunesse et les jeunes actifs à ce futur qui sera le leur Macron waited until the last minute to announce his candidacy. He has barely campaigned, holding just a citizens' debate outside Paris, and he has refused any direct first-round debates with the 11 other presidential hopefuls. But France's 44-year-old president is scoring strongly in the polls with about 30% of intended votes, more than 10 points ahead of his leading rival, far-right politician Marine Le Pen. For now, polls also forecast he will win the April 24th runoff by a large margin. The war in Ukraine has especially burnished Macron's image as a European statesman. The French leader did participate in an indirect debate with his rivals this week, hosted by TF on TV, that focused on the conflict and its fallout. Analysts say he appeared to stand above the squabbling fray. C'est nous les canuts, nous allons tout nus. Besides Le Pen, Macron's other main rivals include 70-year-old Jean-Luc Mélenchon from the far left, with about 14% of intended votes, and Valérie Pécresse of the centre-right, with about 11%. Ratings for another hopeful far-right pundit, Éric Zemmour, have slipped since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, apparently because of his previous pro-Russia positions. But Macron has not been a popular president, and his five-year term has been marked by crises. First, the Yellow Vest protest movement in 2018 sent tens of thousands of people to the streets, protesting high fuel prices and economic inequalities. Then, the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. Now, Ukraine. And as the conflict and sanctions against Russia grind on, analysts warn Macron or whomever succeeds him may be faced with rising discontent once again as France confronts higher energy prices and possibly a massive influx of refugees. Lisa Bryant for VOA News, Paris. In other news, as the war in Ukraine rages on, diplomats trying to salvage the languishing 2015 Iran nuclear deal have been forging ahead with negotiations. They now appear to be near the cusp of a deal that will bring the U.S. back into their accord and return Iran to compliance with limits of its nuclear program. After 11 months of on and off talks in Vienna, U.S. and Iranian officials say only a very small number of issues remain to be resolved. Meanwhile, Russia appears to have backed down a threat to create an agreement over Ukraine-related sanctions that had dampened prospects for a quick deal. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at vonews.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedua for in Washington. The Malian government says it will suspend broadcasts of Radio France International and France 24 television in the country. The announcement followed reports by French media and a rights group that the Malian army has committed human rights abuses in recent months. Anne Risenberg reports from Bamako. Mali's military government issued a statement Thursday that it will initiate proceedings to suspend until further notice RFI and France 24 broadcasts in Mali. The move came after RFI and Human Rights Watch reported on human rights abuse allegations against Mali's army. The government said that the allegations are false and are part of a strategy aimed at destabilizing the transition, demoralizing the Malian people, and discrediting the valiant armed forces. 
Human Rights Watch published a report on Tuesday that included alleged witness accounts of executions and other abuses committed by Malian soldiers and separately by Islamist extremists. The report also includes interviews with those who visited the site of a mass grave near Diabali, Mali. The grave contained the bodies of several victims who were burned with their hands tied behind their backs, videos of which have been circulating on social media in recent weeks. Locals have accused the army of committing the executions and say the victims are ethnic Fulani men who were unfairly targeted. Mali's army denied claims that they were responsible for executions that occurred near Diabali. Mali's military government, which took power in a 2021 coup, in February suspended the accreditation process for foreign journalists. Regarding the threatened suspensions, France Media Monde, the parent company of RFI in France 24, issued a press release Thursday stating that it will investigate all avenues of appeal to ensure that such a decision is not implemented. Annie Reisenberg for VOA News, Bamako, Mali. As leaders meet to finalize a global strategy for nature through the UN Convention of Biological Diversity this week, activists continue their calls to conserve at least 30% of the world's land and ocean by 2030. Fisheries expert Rashid Somalia spoke to Ricky Shryak about West Africa's specific need to protect the region's oceans as overfishing persists. If you go along the West African coast and ask people, they will tell you this. Uh, a few years back, we go out and within six hours, we fill our boats and come home. Today, we go there for a week and we don't get the same quantity of fish. So that is a clear indication that marine biodiversity is going down, the fish are going down. And this has solid consequences on people, their their food, their nutrition, their economics, ability to send children to school. As I was in Cape Coast last June, we went along the coast. Another thing you will see is sea level rise. Uh, I went to a a village, a coastal village uh, close to Cape Coast, and they told me almost every five years they have to move. They, they move a few meters away from the coast because the sea level rises. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the causes? Because there has been a, a, an increase, as I understand it, in industrial fishing. So when you look at fisheries in West Africa, you can split them roughly into small-scale fisheries. Then you have the more, more so-called modern ones. A lot of them are by distant water fishing fleets coming from Europe and Asia, China coming into West African waters, sometimes through through agreements, but in many instances illegally. And this clearly is putting the small-scale fishes in a tight corner. That's what you see. What kind of systematic changes are you guys calling for? Big one at the moment is the idea of marine protected areas. Uh, they are meeting uh, now in Geneva, discussing how to make sure that we protect enough of our oceans and lands, the biodiversity, so that they can continue to support us. And scientists have shown that we need at least 30% of the global ocean and the lands to be protected uh, so that, number three, the World Trade Organization is working now to remove what we call harmful subsidies. And these are a big factor, why big factory trawlers can leave China or Spain and come to West African uh, waters to fish because their governments actually give them money to do this. How important is regional cooperation between West African countries in this uh, in this conversation? And how much would it, do you think, help the process? Thank you for the question because I, it is really central because you know what? The, the, the marine biodiversity, the fish don't respect all these our borders. 
whether you are Togolese fish or you are Ghanaian fish, Ivory Coast, doesn't matter, right? And the countries are behaving as if they are the only ones in there. No. So collaboration is number one on my list, actually. Mm. Countries have to work together. And what makes it even more important is that individually, these countries cannot by themselves put up the kind of monitoring, control, and surveillance exactly, yeah. that people out. So if we chip in our little pennies together, it becomes <laughs> enough to really set up a system that covers the whole ecosystem, like the Gulf of Guinea, right? That's fisheries expert Rashid Sumaila speaking with reporter Ricky Shryok. This is Science in a Minute. NASA's James Webb Space Telescope recently completed the fifth of seven critical steps in aligning its mirror system. After completing the recent procedure, the space agency says the telescope's mirrors are now well aligned with its primary imager, the near-infrared camera. In a NASA press release, the team says it expects the optical performance of Webb to meet or exceed the science goals the observatory was built to achieve. The Webb team is now aligning the mirrors with the space telescope's remaining three science instruments. NASA says it expects all seven steps of Webb's optical telescope element alignment to be done by early May. Once alignment is complete, the Webb team will conduct about two months of science instrument preparations. It's expected that Webb will release its first full-resolution imagery and science data in the summer. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including U.S. lawmakers in both parties are looking for new pressure points to use against Russian President Vladimir Putin amid frustration over the heavy toll from Russia's invasion into Ukraine. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday at 1935 UTC, join me, Steve Miller, as I put the latest developments into a global context with interviews and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Coming up, a conversation with a freshman member of Congress, Chantel Brown from the state of Ohio. She's a Democrat who sits on the House Agriculture and Oversight and Reform Committees. We'll discuss her legislative priorities and her assessment of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, its implications for the world order, and U.S. domestic politics. That's Press Conference USA this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Next up, an update on Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Despite the humanitarian and economic devastation wrought by Russian President Vladimir Putin, this geopolitical earthquake has unified the United States, the European Union, NATO, and other Western allies. Distinguished experts analyze the impact of the sanctions and much more. That's Encounter this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. The Basketball Africa League is back. Voice of America joins forces with Africa's premier men's basketball league to bring you the second season of the BAL. It is game on March 5th, 2022. 
38 games. 12 teams leaving it all on the court in Senegal, Egypt and Rwanda to determine the 2022 season champion. Tune in to VOA 24-7, FMs and to our radio and TV affiliates for some action. Pre-game, play-by-play, post-game, daily highlights, delivered by our finest commentators. Basketball Africa League 2022 on Voice of America. May the best team win. This has been International Edition on the Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voanews.com. Until next time, I am Chinanofa in Washington, wishing you a great weekend. This is the voice of America. Washington, my D.C.